Hey, thank you for being here and for worshiping with us this morning. I'm excited to jump into a new series uh, today as we, as we get, get going. But each and every one of us this morning have decisions that need to be made. I don't think that I have to uh, uh, prod into that too much, but we all have them. We have big decisions and we have little decisions. We have decisions that, you know, what you wore today to how you did your hair. Some of you don't have that problem. Um, but we have all kinds of different decisions to make. Some of you last week, we finished out a series last week entitled uh, Building of the Home, and we were looking at uh, how, we live a, a, how we live our home and in our homes and how we, uh, we, we looked at our home for several weeks, but we talked last week of choosing whom you would serve. And so some of you last week chose, hey, today, uh, I, I know the Lord is Savior, but today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a choice to, to strive to, to know God more intimately within our family or whatever it would be, but you've made choices, we've made decisions I love this statement. We are essentially the sum total of the decisions or choices that we have made. Today, we are a result of the choices we made in the past. Who we are tomorrow will be based on the choices that we make today. Again, choices matter. But I want to go a little bit deeper than that. Because I want us to stop today and I want us to really begin to think through as we look at this series, I Choose a Disciplined Life. We're going to talk about different aspects to help you walk and, and, and go through life and be disciplined or have self-control in our lives. And what does that look like? I believe with everything in me, it's not just a matter that we have decisions to make. But there's ultimately something in us that guides our decision making. We choose certain things based on other things. So based on areas of our lives, we would choose to make different decisions. If we were to ask you this, some of you, uh, I, I could ask this question, what if you made every decision that you made and everybody around you liked you? Wouldn't that be awesome? Anybody else? I think it would be great. Thank you. I personally would love if I made decisions and every person around me thought they were great. Everybody approved of them, everybody liked them, and everybody was like, oh, Aaron, you are amazing. I would love it. Let's just be real. And if you are telling me you wouldn't, you're a liar. We all want people to like us. We all want people to approve of us and what we wear and what we do and blah, 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 blah. The reality is what? Ain't happening. I'm standing here in front of however many people, I can't say, um, it's not funny, I guess, uh, <laughs> but I'm standing in front of you, listen, the reality is if I made certain decisions right now, some of you would not like it, it's just the, it's just the way that life is, but you know, the reality also is this, though we make decisions and I can't please everybody, I can, with everything in me, do the best of my ability, with the best of my ability, to honor and serve and please God in the decisions and in the life that I have. So I can't please all of you with every decision that I made. I've made a lot of decisions that I never thought I would ever have to make over the last six months. And I imagine you have too. But do you realize that when I was in the process of making decisions back in March... One, no pastor ever thought that they'd be like, hey, please don't come to church. And you've heard the jokes. I've, maybe you haven't, but 
every pastor now is like, well, nobody told me about this in seminary. How do you deal with the pandemic? That's kind of, ha, ha, ha. Well, it's kind of not funny anymore. But the reality is nobody told anybody how to live through these things. You just have to make decisions. But if I made a decision like this, it made this person angry. If I made this decision, it made that person angry. And then you hear all of the stuff that with it. But I can do everything I can to seek to please God in every decision that I make, which ultimately should give us a little bit of comfort. See, what if our focus was in our decision making? What if our focus and that purpose, if you will, was to please God? That you would live a life that was one singular focus of pleasing God. I believe that it would truly change and impact the life that we live, but it would also impact the lives of others that are around us. Those that communicate with us, those that we interact with. See, we must live on purpose and for a purpose. I believe a great struggle that often we have is this. We are not sure of that purpose, therefore we misuse our lives. So many people would say, I'm just, I, I don't know what my purpose is. And so they just do whatever they wish to do. If we were to use it on an object, if you didn't know what a thing was, you would naturally misuse that thing. Whatever it is, if you were to take the shoe off of your foot and you had no idea what it was, and we come from a foreign place or whatever it is, they're hey, here. You would look at it and you wouldn't know what to do with it. But if you sought the right guidance, you would have an idea. See, we, we misuse things because we don't know the purpose of said thing. How do you know what the purpose of a thing is? The easiest way, the best way is to, well, we can look at an instruction manual. There's directions, men, that like eliminates half of us. We can either ask somebody, hey, do you know what this is? Or the greatest way is to go to the creator of the thing. Whoever it is that created that thing, if they were to sit there and say, hey, why did you do this? This is what it's for. You know, the same reality is for our lives. See, we go to people. Hey, can you help me with this? Can you guide me in this? I'm, under, I'm not understanding my purpose. I'm not doing this. And there's a time and a place for that. I'm not saying that we're not going to ask questions. But the greatest thing that we can do, the greatest help to you and I, is to go to the creator who can ultimately help us with that said purpose of our lives. Therefore, we're not misusing it. However, sometimes we don't know that our purpose is to please the Lord. Some people don't grasp that we were created to be in relationship with God. I would say most of us in this room have heard that before, right? Yes, I know what my purpose is, I, I get it. But let me ask you this. Though we understand what our purpose is, if we do not have the proper view of God, that purpose can be skewed. See, as a believer, most of you would say, well, I understand I'm, to, I'm called to worship. I'm called to, to honor God and to love God. But if my view of God isn't in such that I honor him and I naturally fall before him, then my worship of him is different. It goes back to the view of who God is in our lives. So as we get into this series, this morning, the introduction 
is uh, going to be about an hour of my two-hour sermon. No, I'm just kidding. It's going to be the bulk of my sermon is all introduction. My points are very, very short, very simple. But I believe that as we get into this thought of choosing a disciplined life, choosing a life that is, is that of self-control and honoring and seeking God in our decisions, I believe it has to go back to our view of God and ultimately our fear of God. See, your decisions matter and your decision as to what you and how you view God matters. If I do not believe in God at all, I choose to do what I want to do because I am my own God. There's people that say, ah, oh, God doesn't exist. They live a life to do whatever they want to do because it's whatever makes them happy. If you believe in a God or even a false religion, you would do and act according to whatever the, the laws and guidelines that they would tell you to do and act. Because you have to work hard enough to do good enough to hopefully one day I will be better off in my afterlife. So I live according to this box of these are the things that thou shalt must do because I'm hoping that God will be happy with me. If I believe in God, capital G, as the one who helps me attain the American dream. Or who sits in the passenger seat of life giving some added guide and helps. Who is just a larger version of myself who comes along when things aren't going the way that I want them to go. And he's just kind of my helper to get me back on track. I make choices based on that. If I believe that God is just a loving and gracious and forgiving and caring and nurturing God. I make choices on that. And God is all of those things. But if that's all I view God as, then my decisions are based on that thought. So last week really sparked in me a lot of this introduction as we go in. We looked at Joshua 24, verse 14 last week. Now therefore fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. See, our view of God, again, dictates our fear of God. And if our view of God and our fear of God and our genuine broken reverence of God is seen as the total picture of God, then the decisions that I make are ultimately impacted. I'm going to use this statement for the next few weeks, and it's just a simple statement, but living in the fear of God empowers us to choose purpose and surrender to the Lord, causing us to live a disciplined life, leaving a godly legacy. The introduction, again, is just a foundation for this series. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. We're going to look at uh, just a couple pieces of Moses' life as we go into the introduction and then uh, into this, this, the, the sermon notes portion of it. But what I want to look at is the view, in many regards in this introduction, our view of who God is. So Hebrews chapter 11, and then we'll continue into the introduction into some points this morning. Verse number 23 in verse chapter 11 says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. 
By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Father, I come to you today. And Lord, I pray that we would, as a people, as believers, maybe there's some that do not know you as Savior, that we would look into our lives, that we would look at how we view you, that we would allow your word to, uh, to, to pierce our hearts, that we would see your truth, how you would have us to see it. And God, that your spirit would work in our lives and work in this place. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. So we looked last week at the fear of the Lord, and today we're going to look, if, there was, uh, if there's something that we could say about Moses, there's a lot you could say, but one of the things that's really cool to me about Moses, Moses had some of the most awesome encounters with God ever. Like Moses just had really cool encounters. We're going to talk about it. What was one of the very first things that we encounter with Moses, right? He's out in the field, and what happens? There's a burning bush. I'm glad some of you missed Sunday school. Um, there's a burning bush. Moses is tending to the flock. Moses is doing all that he's doing off to the distance. The, the bush is on fire. But the bush isn't on fire. It's kind of weird. So Moses does what all people do, right? Hey, what's going on over there? Moses begins to walk. Exodus chapter 3. What happens? Stop! Do not come any further. Stay right where you're at. And then what does he say? What does God say? Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. Immediately after that, Moses, it says, hides his face, for he was in fear of God. Moses looks over. He sees a bush on fire. He then hears the bush speaking to him, recognizing that he's talking to God. God says, don't come anywhere. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And Moses, with fierce drops and hides his face and turns because he recognizes who he is speaking to. And that's God. If you were to continue to move forward in some of Moses' life, now we're skipping about 30 chapters, but in Exodus chapter 33, it says this, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. That's pretty serious. See, if our view of God is just that God is loving and God is gracious and God is forgiveness, which God is all of that, but we're not realizing that God says, you can't even see me or you will die. That's pretty drastic. I love you, but don't look at me, you'll die. But that's who God is. See, it's serious, and it's not so much that God says that, hey, if you look upon me, the radiation is going to just melt you. It's not that your face is going to be melted off. It's not any of that. What is it? It is the righteousness, the holiness of God that we cannot even begin to see and understand that righteousness of God. God's word says that it would kill us. To be in his presence is to come face to face with a greatness so immense that the human mind implodes trying to think about it so good that the sin simply dies in its presence. There's a fear that we ought to have. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
faith, a true faith in God begins as we are struck by the fear of who God is. When I am in awe and I am in wonder of genuinely this God that is reaching down to say, Aaron, I love you, and I become in awe of that is when my faith begins because I understand his greatness and my lack of. Fear precedes our ability to hear. We often skip fear because we do not like things out of our control or that we can't explain. We like what sounds good of God. We love that God is a restoring God. God is a helping God. God is a forgiving God. We love the warm and fuzzy of God, but we often reduce who God is so that we feel okay. Maybe you don't. I often reduce who God is. See, I, I have found, and, and again, a lot of this has come, I, I was reading through and studying last weekend, and as I started a brand new book, I did not know what that book was about and complete. I was like, oh, this is a good looking title. I like that author. Oh, let's listen to it. I, I listened, not read. But I'm listening, and it's all based on some of these same exact things, and it was just one of those things. I just kept diving into it deeper. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, wow, I really do in my life reduce God to this little thing that makes me feel better. And so as I'm going through this, I'm reading and I'm going through study or looking at different passages of scripture. Isaiah 66 and verse number two, to this man I will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit. What does it say? And trembleth at my word. Not that I just, oh, this is cool, and I, I, you know, I have, oh, look at this, this is good, oh, God's word, that we would tremble at God's word, that we don't just, it's not just a lot, you know, you come to church, no, that we would tremble at God's word. I wonder, do we tremble at God's word? Do we approach him with a, a, a mentality that I better take off my sandals, I better take off my shoes, for I am standing on holy God, that is an almighty God. I wonder how we... Look at that. If we were to go to the New Testament in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is telling Peter, hey, how is the fishing going? Yeah, we caught nothing. Hey, why don't you take that net and put it on the other side? They do it. And then what happens? It's full. They get all this fish. They have all these things. And he says, Peter looks and he realizes who he was speaking to. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Peter recognized who Jesus was. He recognized him as God and he, he looks out and he says, depart from me. I can't even be in your presence. Would you leave? For I am sinful. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus is transfigured before them. In verse number six, it says that they fell at their faces and were greatly afraid. They trembled in fear. Mark chapter four, the disciples were scared. They're out on the water the waves are coming. The waves are crashing. They say, it says that they're fearful. They're afraid for their lives because the waves are going to overtake the boat. We're all going to die. Jesus comes, and what does Jesus do? Jesus looks out, and he calms the sea. Peace be still. See, it says that they were afraid before. 
And then in this passage of scripture, it goes from being afraid. After Jesus calmed the storm, it says that they were greatly afraid. They were more fearful of what Jesus just did than they were that the waves were about to kill them. Why? Because they had an understanding that the God that just stood there had control over the entire universe. Like, he just rebuked the wind. I can't hardly rebuke my kids without them looking at me and say, but why, Dad? God, Jesus just looked down at the wind and said, hey, stop. Calm down. These guys are going to go back to the shore. And the disciples were greatly afraid because they realized that Jesus... See, you can only rebuke that which you have authority over. And they realized, whoa, that guy has authority over the wind too? Ugh! They were greatly afraid. How about John? John was the closest to Jesus. In John chapter 13 and verse 23, it says that, Je- that Jesus makes the reference that he is the one that Jesus loves. John is the same John, the one that was close to him, that put his head upon his chest while they were eating. This John meets Jesus on the bake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about with paps, or the paps with the gold, his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And what does John say? And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is the same John who was with Jesus, who laid upon his chest, who talked with him, who said he was the one who was loved by him. He was one of the closest of all of them. And what does he say? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. I'm just, I'm just telling you guys, I'm being maybe a little transparent this morning. I don't often see God as that, sometimes I see him as what I wonder if we just began to see God for who God is. Caves in. When life caves in, when everything is thrown at us and we don't know what to do, I wonder, do I want the loving, oh, he's just so loving and oh, he's just so good. Or do I want to know that the God that I serve, yes, he is loving, and yes, he is kind, and yes, he is gracious, and yes, he is all of those things, but my God is also all-powerful. My God is also the one that spoke it into existence, and every molecule will not go anywhere that God has not allowed it to go. That's the God that I want to rest my hat on when things fall apart. We oftentimes have them in our own little box because we can try to understand it a little bit better. See, I want the God who stands behind my salvation and lets nothing stand in his way. I believe I struggle at times 
to live a more disciplined, more self-controlled life. A life that's more of restraint to the things of God because I don't always see God in that same manner. Think about this, the cross of Jesus. See, the cross that Jesus endured to obtain forgiveness illustrates how terrifying it is to offend God's justice. Paul says it this way in Romans 3.25, Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. God placed His Son upon a cross to declare His righteousness for the remission of sin. Beholding God from the safety, think about this, beholding God from the safety of the cross is like watching a tornado pass in front of you from the safety of the cave. How many of you have been in or witnessed tornadoes? Not like from a, like, oh, look at that, like long ways, but like you've watched it. It's pretty crazy. I'll never forget, I was about 19 years old, graduated high school, 18 years old, I guess I was. I graduated, I was working on a construction site, and I was building, we, we did basements, so we laid block all day long, just eight-inch cinder blocks all day long. I was a grunt. All I did was just throw them up on the scaffolding all day. We're in this basement and we're looking at the clouds, and it was beautiful, like the coolest colors I had ever seen, purples and pinks and oranges and everything. But it wasn't like, it, it was cool in the sense that it was like beautiful, but it was like going this way, like the clouds are going in a circle. That's not good. I knew that, but it was awesome. So we're sitting there watching. And it just kept getting, like, more condensed. And we're all like, man, this is awesome. And it kind of gets some sprinkles, and then it just went, like, all right, cool. Calm before the storm. So we're watching this. Next thing I know, we are in this basement, completely open, and we're like, guys, we have got to get out of here. We ran to one of the neighbor's houses. We're just beating on the door. Can we come in? We go downstairs into the basement, looking out the window that was within like two minutes, completely full of hail. Everything. I mean, it was just nuts. Listen, the st- I was really comfortable sitting in the basement, watching from a distance. We stood there for the rest of the day because our cars were flooded in. It was nice to watch it from the safety of the basement. If we had left out of the safety of the basement, the power of that storm, who knows what could have happened. See, living life in the power of the safety of the cross, knowing the power of God, knowing and realizing that that's the God that I serve, that if I come over here, and it's not, I'm not saying this to just that we should be scared, but we ought to live a life of that much fear and reverence for an almighty God that when I step out of the comfort of God's cross, I know what can happen. And so many times we just, we don't live that way. As we get into the points this morning, and I told you they were short, so some of you are like, oh my. 
I want you to think of this. Those who understand forgiveness tremble more in His presence as they are amazed at the magnitude at the God who holds them safely in His arms. Do we grasp in our tiny little minds, do I fall and tremble at God's feet And love him that much more. And be in more awe and more fearful of who he is because I'm watching him doing what he has done and doing what he does. As we get into this passage of scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, I just vary three simple thoughts. But living in the fear of God empowers us to choose purpose and surrender to the Lord, causing us to live a disciplined life. The title of the sermon is Fear Leads Us to Purpose. And so as we fear the Lord, we choose based on the purpose of pleasing God rather than of man. The first thought is this, purpose diminishes distraction. If we look at this passage of scripture, we know, we, we really know very little about Moses' upbringing. But by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was proper and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. So Moses was born. We know that Moses was born in the house of Pharaoh. We know that he was born and he had great wealth. Uh, he was adopted into the house of Pharaoh, but he had great wealth. He had everything that he could ever have imagined. They believed that they were actually grooming Moses to be the next Pharaoh, that he would have led everything there. And so he grew up with all of these things, but yet it says that he chose not to go down that road. And we'll get there in a moment. But see, all of us have distractions all around us. Your distraction may not be that you live in a home that's just like Moses that just had everything. Your distraction may not be wealth. Your distraction may not be some of those things. But it may be that it is some of the wealth that we have because we live in America. We live in a great nation. We have so much at our fingertips. We have so much freedom that we don't even think about. We have all of these things and they all become distractions. Our phones are distractions. Our, our lives at work can become distractions and all of these things. But yet, listen, if we are focused on a purpose of God, then my life at work ought not be a distraction from my purpose of God. It ought to be another part of the purpose of God. Does that make sense? When you go to work, it's not like you leave God here and you go to work. God has part of your purpose to be right where you're at. Some of you are military and you are here for a season of life. You will be here for a year, two years. Some of you have been here for, how long have you been here? Seven, eight, nine years. Unexpected, but they're here for nine years. Part of that, wherever God leads you, is a part of that purpose in your life but we could do this well I'm only going to be there for a year so I'm just going to stay over here we have family here traveling nurses they're here for a couple months it's easy to say well I'm only here for a couple months so I'm just going to I'll just do my thing or I can get plugged in and do everything that I can and be a part of God's purpose right where I'm at for the next two months, which might be two years or five years or who knows what that is. But it doesn't matter. God's purpose ought not go away because of the surroundings of which we are. 
We ought to focus on those. Nehemiah was, ha- Nehemiah was up building a wall, right? We remember the story. Did Nehemiah have a few things that were kind of trying to discourage him and set him off? Absolutely. He's trying to build a wall while people are shooting at him and trying to kill him. He's up there doing his thing, and on one hand, they're trying to work, and on the other hand, they're holding, they're, they're trying to protect themselves. There was a lot of distraction for them, but there was a purpose in their life to continue to press on. Listen, I'm telling you, there's a purpose in your life. Continue to press on. There's great prestige in the world, but yet we have to have a proper view of who God is and fear God and have a purpose of pleasing God. Let me say this as we move forward. So many people seek out this thought of purpose and they seek out this uh, in, in a church. It's not purpose. It's God's will for my life. Pastor, I'm just trying to figure out God's will for my life. Let me help you. This might be, I'm not trying to degrade if this is where you're at, but I, I want to help you. The greatest thing that we can grasp a hold of is God's will for your life is not, most of the time is not going to be like, Shining down in lights and God's like, hey, Aaron, here's what it is. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be Moses tending to the flock, doing what Moses is supposed to be doing, living a life of service, of just loving God and loving people and doing the things that we're supposed to do. And then God's over here. He's like, whoa, hey, what is this burning bush thing? I'm going to go check this out. That's really nine out of, probably more than nine out of ten times how God's will kind of shows up in our lives, God's purpose. It's not the bright lights that was like, boo, boo, Aaron, this way, Aaron. Now it's doing the little things. Are you serving God right where you're at? Are you serving God right where you're at? Are you loving God? Are you loving your neighbors? Are you serving in some capacity at a local church? Are you doing the little things that God would have you to do right where you're at? That is typically where God is going to show you and the doors are going to constantly be opened. Our church serving with refuge for women. It was something that was presented to us. We acted upon it. I helped to do what I could from the church leadership perspective. Two and a half years in, they asked if I'd be a part of the board. I had no desire to be on a board of anything. I don't mean that in disrespect. That's just not what I was after. I just wanted to serve. Hey, and this opened up. It's just how God works. Because as you do what God has called you to do, the little things, the doors begin to open. But are we focused on that? See, purpose purpose diminishes distractions. We've got to remain focused on the big things and not the distractions. Purpose pushes you through pain. Verse number 25. Again, stuff that's very simple, but by faith, Moses, or sorry, verse 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. For some, that pain, that choosing uh, to uh, rather to suffer that affliction, for some, that affliction might literally be, I have to put my Facebook down for a couple hours. And that's okay. 
Because for you and where you're at in this moment, it's painful because you enjoy it or whatever it is. It's become that thing. It could be a million other things. It could be work. It could be making money. It could be a lot of things that we have to put aside for a moment so that we can enjoy God, so that we can get back to those things, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's not good. But if we understand that this is a thing that draws us that, we need to leave it. He says they're choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God. He chose. I, I, I know that God has called me to do this over here, to save, to be a part of these children of Israel, to be a part of their lives and to lead them and to guide them. I know that's what it is. So I have to get rid of all of these things. I have to get, step away from that. And it might be painful for a moment, but it's exactly what God has for you. But inside of the purpose, that purpose, that, that will of God, if you will, whatever it would be, helps us to push through that because we know what the end result is. We, we understand it. God's word talks about that even with childbirth. There's pain, but there's such great reward most of the time. Just kidding. Man, all the time, at least in my four. All right. <laughs> when you make a dumb joke and there's no response, I guess that's what you do. But no, we, we push through. Why? Because there's a reason, there's a purpose. There's an intention. And I think sometimes we allow the pain to stop us from pushing forward. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel could have been like, you know what, time out. Not going down that road. I mean, I don't want to go hang out with the lions in the den either. But he said, no, it's, it's better for me to do this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? All of these stories that we look at, these are people that said, you know what, I, I've got a purpose. God has called me to this, and I'm going to do it. And God showed up. God did what God is going to do, and he has to do that in our lives as well. Purpose empowers you to please God. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Moses had everything right where he was at Pharaoh's place. Egypt was wealthy Moses had it all, yet it says considering. Moses had already considered. Moses had thought through. Moses' decisions were made a long time ago because God, uh, for, for Moses, he had made a decision back here. I think sometimes we need to, in the decision making, we look at it and think, oh, well, that decision was just made right here. No, many of those decisions were made long time ago. I chose in my life, this is where I'm going to do, or this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to read. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to be in church. I'm going to have godly friends. And I'm going to have this. That's a decision that was made. And so when things come up over here, a, a, a month down the road, a year down the road, 10 years down the road, whatever, those decisions here were already made back here. I'm not moving to take job X, Y, or Z unless God would show me a church wherever I am moving to. I am not doing this unless God truly opened this up. Why? Because this was the decision that I made. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in serving the Lord, it is this, 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 and whatever those things are. So when those decisions come, when the tough times come, when the pain comes, I've already made that decision over there. Now I just have to follow through with it. Now it's not always easy. I'm not saying that this is all, oh, well, hey, 
one day back then I made this decision. And No. But we have to choose that. Moses chose that. We don't know all of that story of Moses's as a child and his upbringing. We don't know all of that. But we can see through Scripture that it speaks of Moses being a beautiful child, that Moses' parents spoke of things, and, uh, and Acts, uh, uh, John spoke of, um, uh, I believe it was John, um, not John, anyway, sorry, um, Stephen spoke of Moses, and, and there's others that would speak of that, that spoke to who Moses was, even prior to what we would know Moses to be, because there was a decision that was made. By faith, Moses made decision. And that faith, that purpose, that, that choice, I wonder, I wonder if in our lives, if we had a proper view of who God was, how that would help us direct that purpose, which that purpose is going to help us when things are tough and there's distractions, I can continue to press forward. When pain comes, I continue to press forward. And now, because of that, I'm able to enjoy that season. I'm able to really look beyond and, and, and please God because I've made that decision because of how I chose and how I'm seeking the face of God. Today, I would ask you, Two simple questions. For somebody in this room, for somebody online, you might say, uh, I would ask this question of, have you chosen God? The simple question of, have you chosen God? Have you made a decision in your life? Now, God's word would say that he chose you. That his, the Holy Spirit would guide and pull you to that. But have you chose to say yes to God? That way nobody... Hey, that's not how it works. But if you chose to say yes to God, God has tugged upon your heart. God is pulling you. God has uh, just molded you. God is working on you. These things are happening that's constantly pointing back to this. And I would ask you, have you chosen to say, God, I need you as my Savior? God, I have yet to do this, and I, I'm realizing this is what has to happen. And I wonder if you would choose to say yes to God. Believer, I would ask you this. Maybe you are oftentimes where I have expressed myself to be, where I do fear God, but I'm not really looking at it in a sense of some of the things that we looked at. And sometimes I fear God because I put him in this little box over here and I, and I know that I'm supposed to be in awe and reverence of God and respect God and I, I understand all that, but I'm missing out on this part, or part over here where God is an almighty, all-powerful, I fall upon my face before God, God. And I've put him in a box and he helps me when I need help. And when I'm a little uncertain of things, he kind of comes along and he helps me. And that's kind of who I view God as. I wonder, I ask, are you viewing God with an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving view of God? Or are you viewing God from your own little box. I want to thank you again for joining us today. We pray that the service has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. Here at Oasis, we have a desire to walk alongside of you, to be a partner in your walk with the Lord. 
So if you had made any decision today, we would love to celebrate and pray with you. So if you can please do us a favor and fill out a connect form or text decision to the number provided below. Oasis is supported by faithful people like you. So if you have a desire to give to the mission and ministry of Oasis, you can text give to the number provided below, click on the give link or mail in your gift to the church office. Lastly, we have a desire to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, you can email us at prayer at oasislv.church. Church, as we saw today and will continue to see, living in the fear of God empowers us to choose purpose and it helps us surrender to the Lord. It causes us to live a disciplined life, leaving a godly legacy. So let's go and leave a legacy of a passionate follower of Christ.